Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Well, good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here. Glad you've joined us in our attempt to know our Bible a little bit better. So what we do on this program is answer viewer questions. And if you're a first-time viewer, just... Uh, flipping through the channels and decided you'd see what Know Your Bible was all about. And that's what we're about is uh, we take questions from our viewers, let them decide what we talk about on this program, and you're liable to hear about anything on here. A lot of specific questions about the Bible. What's that verse mean? Or is that doctrine really in the Bible? A whole lot of life kind of questions. What uh, what do I do as a parent or as an employee or as a, a boss or what's the Bible say about that? So we'll cover just a lot of things in the next 30 minutes. Invite you to stay along and see if you uh, know your Bible a little bit better when you're done. Phone number and a website are on the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. And that's what the program will consist of is what you ask us. So. Let's get started. Toby Levering's back with us. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're studied up and ready to go. Let's give our viewers one to get started here. Uh, Joseph Arimathea, what did he give to Jesus? Story in the New Testament toward the end of the New Testament, or end of the Gospels. What did Joseph of Arimathea give to Jesus? Very nice gift, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Toby, I think you got the first one, so you get the ball rolling here. Sure, here's our first question. An eye for an eye and turn the other cheek contradict each other. Why? A oh, very astute question. A person who's reading their Bible well understands this is a contradiction. And you understand if you read the context of it that Jesus is pointing out the contradiction. He's saying, uh, you're used to one standard, but I'm calling you to a much higher standard of living uh, in, as, as uh, people of my kingdom. Uh, we find this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 39. Let's read together. You have heard it that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Uh, Jesus is saying uh, many times, as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, that there are uh, standards of the law. And Jesus is saying, uh, you know that it's this level, and this was the standard under the Old Testament system, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We might call that justice. And Jesus says, I want you to go beyond justice and extend grace and mercy. Uh, turn to them, them the other cheek. And people argue and debate about that, but I don't think Jesus can make it any clearer than when you follow him, you are choosing to give up your own rights to justice. Uh, I know and there's a lot of talk about justice in the church today and in many religious places. Uh, I think justice is really the last thing any of us want. Uh, when we look at what's just and fair and what we really deserve, well, uh, we don't want, really don't want the true uh, results of justice. If we want God to be absolutely fair, uh, that could lead to uh, none of us being in eternity with Him. 
But fortunately, he gives us much more than justice. He gives us mercy and grace, and as such, he asks his people to be the very same way. Uh, resign your rights. If somebody insults you, somebody, somebody does something that just, man, it can't believe that they did that. Uh, the world says, well, you got to get them back, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You just give it right back to them. Don't let anybody push you around. And Jesus says, now listen, <laughs> when you chose to follow me, you choose to give up uh, your rights and you simply uh, allow me to take care of those inequities in life. And I think it's a beautiful picture. Um, so I think we're called to show mercy instead of seeking justice and show grace uh, and, and <clears throat> extend that to others. So Alrighty, my answer. All righty, thank you, Toby. Uh, question about the Bible in general <clears throat> here. Uh, the viewer says, did God the Father do anything in the Bible except say, this is my beloved son? It seems as if Jesus did everything. Well, if uh, somebody walked up to me on the street and said, I watch your program, I see you on there. And it seems to me in my reading that Jesus did everything. God the Father didn't do anything. My response would be, let me guess. I bet you've been reading the Gospels. <laughs> in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's exactly the story. Jesus seems to do everything. Uh, God the Father's not mentioned a whole lot. It seems like the Jesus story. Well, that's exactly what it is. There are four biographies of Jesus. They're telling about his time on earth. Now, if I met that person on the street, I'd say, go read the Old Testament for a while and come back and tell me what you think. And if you read the Old Testament very much or all of it at once, you'd come back and say, well, the only person in the Bible is God the Father. There's nothing in there about Jesus. Old Testament talks a whole lot about God the Father. Jesus isn't fully revealed yet. The, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about Jesus all the time. And then once you get into the epistles, when things start working there, uh, the Holy Spirit's doing a lot of work, especially in Acts, uh, in that history book there. Uh, so you read a whole lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So you read the whole Bible, you're going to get everything. You read just parts of it, you're going to get a different uh, uh, focus, a different concentration on the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. So I think that's the best way to answer it. They're all in there. They're just kind of uh, specialized in certain parts of it, I guess, is the, the way I'd say it. And all Jesus right. said he can, he, in John 5.19, he said the Son can do nothing by himself. Yeah. He can only do... Uh, what he sees the father doing. So they're, uh, they're both at work. They're just... in there. And I, I didn't <laughs> decide to go into oh, okay. that because, you know, Jesus didn't do it by himself. The Holy right. Spirit assisted him and sure, all that. Sure. And we find that if we study it all. But if you're just reading history, he, the viewer's right. If you're yeah. in the Gospels, that's all you see is Jesus. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Uh, <clears throat> sort of a social question. Some of my friends drink. Is it wrong for me to have them over for games and try to have a good influence on them and still be a good Christian? Uh, well, I, I think I understand what you're getting at. I understand your intention. Um, and I think maybe once in a while, if, you, if you're trying to have an impact and an influence, uh, that might be okay. But I would warn you very strongly that the tendency is uh, darkness tends to overpower light. 
uh, evil tends to pull down the good. Uh, we, I've seen that so many times in ministry where people want to try to have a good influence and end up being the one being influenced. And so you have to be very careful uh, about the example that you set, the unintended message that you sent. Someone might look at you and say, well, uh, that person's doing it. They're a good Christian. I see them on Sunday. They must be okay with it. Uh, sometimes you have to vi give a lot of thought to your example and your ambassadorship and what you represent just by your presence. So uh, be careful with that. I'm not saying it's absolutely uh, wrong, but be uh, absolutely uh, cautious and guarded in how and when you do that. Uh, Christians are to be salt and light, as Jesus said, but we've got to be shrewd as serpents, as he also said. Uh, Christians shouldn't continually and intentionally go into bad environments and, and just be there hanging out. Uh, there's nothing good that will come of that. Of course, Jesus did eat with sinners, and, and people may bring that up. But I think when Jesus went in those environments, he was absolutely the influencer there. Uh, he loved them well, and because he loved them, they wanted to listen to him. And they not only listened, but they changed uh, who they were and how they behaved. So uh, you can have an influence on your friend, but 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Easier to be pulled down than to pull others up. Uh, let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 through 8 together on the screen. You are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I think you can influence your friends without necessarily partaking uh, in the behaviors that they're partaking of. Any, any thoughts on that? You parented. Oh, I've, I've, <laughs> I've told teenagers for years that it's not fair. It doesn't seem fair. Yeah, that's right. That it works that way. Mm -hmm. It seems like if you'd put somebody good in with a bunch of bad folks, you <clears> ought to be able to make them all good. Mm -hmm. uh, but the Bible says evil companions corrupt good morals. That's just the way it works in the world. I, like I say, I don't think it's fair, uh, but it's just like physically, one bad apple spoils the bunch. Whole bunch. Doesn't seem fair. Looks like all the good apples ought to make the bad one good, <laughs> uh, but doesn't happen that way. So uh, it's a, just a principle of life, and as long as you bear that in mind and work with your <coughs> friends in a proper influence way, you might do some good for them. But uh, uh, hosting drinking parties yeah. might uh, <laughs> give the wrong yeah, idea. <laughs> yeah, one good idea is you can invite them over and say, "But I don't want any alcohol in my yep. home." Yep. You know, let them have a night of fun without alcohol. They may find out it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll remember it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, let me talk to you about a good way to study the Bible. If you haven't, uh, don't have a regular habit of Bible study, I know a lot of our viewers do and are old-time Bible students and love to read through their Bible. But if you don't, maybe there's some study materials that we have that can help you. And we'd provide those to you absolutely free if you want to study the Bible in your own home. We've got some ways to do it, uh, lots of different ways to study the Bible. You can uh, just sit down and start reading in Genesis and, or start reading in Matthew. And uh, If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you might think 
Jesus is the only person <laughs> mentioned in the Bible. Uh, but if you read somewhere else, you might get another idea like we talked a moment ago. So, a lot of ways to study the Bible. This is one way and we think it works. We think it's a good introduction to the Bible. And we've got a track record of thousands of people that tell us they really liked it, that they learned a lot. So, it's got some history. Uh, this first lesson, uh, first set of lessons, uh, leads you through some of the topics of the Bible. You see it starts there with the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you don't know the difference between those, you're going to have a hard time studying your Bible. You can understand that first. Uh, then the other courses have more other material in it, and you'll get a good basic grounding in the Bible if you use our study materials. So, phone number, website are on the screen. Use either one of those. Tell us you'd like that free course. It'll come to you in the mail, and you can spend as much time or as little on it as you want. If you decide it doesn't help you, we won't bother you in any way. Just just quit. Uh, but we think you'll want to keep studying because you'll learn a lot of Bible in there. All right, next <coughs> question about the rapture. Do you believe in the rapture? And where in the Bible does it tell us there will be a rapture? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you can read the Bible from Genesis through Revelation and uh, keep looking for the word rapture and Jesus is going to come back before you find it. Uh, the word rapture is not in there. Uh, the concept of a rapture literally, technically is in there. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but the word rapture is not in there and especially uh, the doctrine that is taught these days as the rapture uh, best it, uh, illustrated by the, the Left Behind series uh, that kind of thing that's got the secret rapture in it. Uh, people that have bumper stickers on their car that says when the rapture happens the driver won't, driver's going to disappear and things like that. That doctrine of a secret rapture of the saved being gone up to heaven and nobody knows where they went and then a time of tribulation and all that, uh, that's not in the Bible either. That's a fairly recent uh, theory dreamed up by some men that misused some uh, prophecies from Daniel and misused some from Isaiah and really misused Revelation. Uh, Revelation was supposed to happen very shortly according to the man who wrote it, not 2,000 years from then. So they take all that and come up with this. It's a really interesting theory. I mean, I, I read the Left Behind books and found it excellent reading, good novel. It's kind of interesting to think about all that, but it's not biblical. Uh, it, well, it's things taken out of context and used the wrong way, uh, but that whole theory is not in the Bible. What is in the Bible about rapture is that we're going to be caught up. And that's what rapture means, is caught up, uh, translated. So we're all going to be caught up at the same time. Bible plainly teaches that. Not some good people and then seven years later some more people and not all of this stuff. Jesus is going to come back once and we're going to be caught up. So here's what uh, 1 Thessalonians says about it and it will settle the matter. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17. The dead in Christ will rise first and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We'll be caught up with them. He's talking about when Jesus comes back, and Jesus Himself said that everybody in the graves would come forth, both good and both righteous and the wicked. So everybody on that day is going to be caught up for judgment. Uh, and all He was saying in that passage is 
those folks in Thessalonica were worrying about people that had already died. You know, are they going to miss the Lord? He said, no, no. In fact, they're going to be raised first, and then those of us who are still alive will be caught up with them. And the wicked, of course, are going to be caught up too. All there, all going to be judged, all going to go to heaven or to hell. Uh, that's the end. That's what the rapture is all about, or the catching up is about in the Bible. Uh, but not the current popular theory of a secret rapture and tribulation and all that. We don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. All right, Toby. Yes, a viewer wants to know about Satan. Specifically, do the scriptures give any information on who Satan is? Yes, uh, the answer to that is there are lots of scriptures. And I thought I would just put these on the screen for you so that you could uh, take a picture of your television or write them down, whatever you want to do. Uh, as he's described in Scripture, uh, Jesus described him as our enemy. He came to steal and kill and to destroy. Uh, and and uh, he's, he's basically very clearly pointed out to be our enemy. John 8, 44, Jesus said he's the liar and the father of lies. When he speaks a lie, he's speaking his native tongue. He's a murderer, and he has been from the beginning. He's taking life uh, from those to whom life was given. John <laughs> chapter 12 Verse 31, he is described as the prince of this world, which uh, to me says a lot about our attitude toward the world and, and living within its values and systems. Sometimes we wonder what's happening just to understand who the prince is, and then you understand. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the apostle Peter describes him as a ferocious lying, lion seeking whom he may devour which we get an idea that uh, much like uh, uh, any lion, he is, he's after his prey. And then a Revelation chapter 9 verse 11 describes him as an evil angel. And Revelation 12 verses 9 and 10 says he is our accuser and the ancient serpent. So all the way from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 12, uh, he's in there. Um, but of all the ways he's described, probably the best description that's given is he is defeated and that uh, the victory is not his and will not be for those who are in Christ. So uh, you can study out the character of Satan and even when you study it all out, there's a lot of parts that are still not very well explained. And that's, I think, there's a reason for that. God wants us to know only what's important and what we need to know that's important is if we're in Christ, we'll overcome. Let's look at <clears throat> Romans chapter 8 and be reminded of this promise for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So hope those scriptures are helpful. Alrighty, I bet they are. Good description of Satan there. Alright, viewers found a verse that seems a little strange to them. Uh, Exodus 20 and verse 5 it sounds like uh, God punishes children, <clears throat> and they want us to explain that. Well, probably be best if we just read that verse first, Exodus 20, verse 5. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, that's a key part there, of those who hate me. All right, it says, he's a jealous God, and the children are punished for the sins of their fathers for three or four generations. All right, does sound uh, not good. Sounds like a cruel, evil God that would punish <laughs> children for something they didn't do. Well, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, it says that 
children aren't held guilty for their father's sins. Uh, the soul who sinneth, it shall die. Not the son, not the father. Uh, if the son sins, the father is not punished. If the father sins, the son's not punished. So the Bible says that. So since the Bible all agrees, what does this mean? Well, what God is saying here, I think, is that when a generation turns away from Him, when they hate Him, when a whole generation decides to reject God, the children get punished for three or four generations. Uh, he's not saying He continually brings punishment upon them, but because He's a jealous God, you need to stay trusting in God. If you don't, your children are going to suffer for three or four generations. Now, if we look at the real world, we find out that's exactly what happens. When a whole generation decided in the Old Testament, no, we're going to worship Baal or some other God and we're going to turn away from Jehovah, they went into captivity. They, their children suffered until they remembered God enough uh, to pray enough to be able to restore, be restored to their freedom things like that. It took three or four generations once a people decided to reject God for people to come back. Uh, personally, I think that's just the way it is in the world. I fear that we are very close to that uh, in the United States. I think when this generation, uh, which is getting pretty close to fully rejecting God, uh, if we go the rest of the way, if we continue down that path, and decide, no, we can do without the Lord God, uh, then we will be in captivity and some kind of punishment and away from the freedoms that we enjoy and away from the blessings of God for three or four generations. It'll take that long uh, for a belief in God to re-arise and come back. I think that's just the way it is in the world. So I think that's what he's saying there. Uh, certainly he doesn't, he says elsewhere, I don't punish children for what their father did wrong. But I'm a jealous God, and if you turn completely from me, it's going to take, a, it's going to take some heavy consequences. All right, let me take a moment out from our questions to invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ, so we like to state that every uh, week and mention a few that help us stay on the air. Uh, today let me mention one over in Hutchinson, Kansas. If you live in the central part of uh, South Kansas, uh, you might be close to Hutch. And if you are, uh, there's a fine group of folks over there that worship at the Eastwood Church of Christ. The building is right across from the fairgrounds. So anytime you go to the Kansas State Fair, you might, you might see Eastwood, but uh, drop in and visit them sometime on a Sunday. Uh, you'd find a fine group of folks that warmly welcome you. They think and teach about the Bible like we do here on Know Your Bible. Uh, they believe Know Your Bible does a good work, so they help us stay on the air, and we appreciate that, Eastwood. Uh, of course, any area you live in and the markets of Know Your Bible, you could probably find a church near you. Uh, drop in and visit the Church of Christ sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible, and we'd appreciate that. All right, Toby, I think you got one next. This question is, comes from someone with a very Berean attitude. Okay, They've heard good. us say some that's, things, that's but they good, want to know what the Scripture that's says. That's a good thing. What Scripture states that we are not living under the old law, but are under the new law? 
All right. Well, I do very much appreciate the spirit of the question. I want to encourage all of our viewers, anytime we or anyone else uh, say something, uh, to have your Bibles open along and, and study for yourselves to make sure that what we're saying is in congruence with what the Bible teaches. So let me go just answer your question directly. Let's jump into some scriptures. Uh, first of all, will be Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 6. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, and catch this, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And sometimes we get questions on here, and people want to know, well, what about uh, keeping the Sabbath, and, and uh, what about uh, doing different things that they did in the Old Testament, maybe as part of worship or something? And our answer to that is, look, uh, that was a part of the Old Testament system. The problem with the old law is that if you got to keep one, if you're going to try to keep one part of it, you better keep all of it. James said, uh, whoever uh, tries to keep one part of the law, but doesn't keep all of it. Well, he's a lawbreaker. Now, if you're going to try to live by the law, you got to, if you're going to get your justification based on keeping the law, uh, you better keep it 100%. There's a problem with that. Nobody could do it except one guy. And Jesus, he did it when he said, uh, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus kept the law perfectly. So we didn't have to. And he established a new uh, covenant with us where it's not based on law keeping but on faith in him uh, who fulfilled the law. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. Now look at this. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Uh, the beautiful thing about Jesus abolishing the old law, not abolishing, but fulfilling the old law, was that he fulfilled its requirements against us. So it no longer stands against us. And now we live in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And be quite honest, uh, that's where I'd rather be. So I hope that helps. Thank you for asking for the scriptures. We love those questions. All right. Thank you, Toe. Let's squeeze <clears throat> one more in here. Uh, the Bible says that a testament is only enforced after the death of the testator. When did the New Testament begin? All right, uh, there's a verse that says that. Let me jump right to what I think the viewer is saying. If the testament took effect when Jesus died on the cross, and that's usually what we say, <coughs> but then 50 days later there was Pentecost, and that was the first day the new law was preached, or the kingdom of God was preached. Uh, if that leaves 50 days there. What about people in the middle there? When did the Testament really begin? Alrighty. Uh, I think, well I know they're going to be okay. God figured that out and <laughs> took care of it. Uh, maybe nobody died for 50 days. That, that would be the only ones that would have a problem. They live to see the Gospel preached. I don't know. But uh, we always say it took effect at the cross, which is true. Uh, technically it wasn't preached for 50 more days. That's the first time anybody knew about it, the first time they could follow <coughs> the New Testament. So I think either one of them is fine, but I think at the cross is where 
the old law was nailed and all of that. So mm. that's when it took effect. I think God will take care of those that happen to live and die between those 50-day periods. All right, we're out of time today for more questions, but uh, we're going to answer our trivia question today, see if we can find what that was. What did Joseph of Arimathea give to Jesus? What gift did he give? He gave him a very nice gift. He gave him his own tomb. Uh, Jesus was on the cross and needed to be buried quickly. Uh, Joseph was a rich man and had a tomb all bought and paid for, and he offered that to uh, bury Jesus in, went to Pilate and got permission. So that was the gift. Glad you've been with us today and hope that you come back next week since uh, we'll be answering some more of your questions then. Hope you come back for that. And until then, we just hope you have a great week and study your Bible. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.